Amen. Let's thank God for the worship team. Don't they look nice? I'm trying to figure out the color. It's like a salmon taupe, pink, burgundy tie. You could have sang with them today. Well, it is good to be here, good to be gathered with the people of God, celebrating and worshiping the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I'm certainly excited to be back. I missed you guys. I've been out of the pulpit. I've been out of uh, the pulpit, really out of uh, Brooklyn for the last two weeks. Uh, I preached six times in the last 11 days on the West Coast uh, between Ventura, California and Santa Barbara. And just had an amazing time out there uh, just with some really, really good, faithful, Jesus-loving churches. And let me express my gratitude to this church for allowing me uh, the opportunity to be able to leave the pulpit to go preach somewhere else. And, you know, it's great that you can do that. I, I love being back. I love being here. Uh, but it's great that you can go away and know that uh, Jesus is still on the throne here. He's still being worshipped here. He's still being preached about and uh, sung about here. And so I'm grateful for you guys and just want to thank you for the opportunity to let me to slip out and slip back in. Well, listen, I'm, I'm really eager to preach the word of God. I, I, don't, I hope you guys are eager to hear the word. So grab your Bibles and meet me in Luke 22. If you are new to the Bible, uh, Luke can be found in the New Testament. It's the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, no, no shade uh, if you have to flip back and try to find out where it is. Uh, listen, I promise you guys, I am still deeply, deeply committed to working through the book of Romans. I know it feels like we haven't been in the book of Romans for a while, and it's true, we haven't. Um, and uh, I can promise you that it's going to be a few more weeks until we get back into it. You know, today is Palm Sunday, and so we want to look at the life of Jesus Christ. You know, when you read the, the New Testament, uh, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three writers slow down during this week. And they really start to explain because this week is such a powerful week. And so uh, I think it's important for us to address some of the things that Jesus did uh, on earth right before he departed, which will be on Friday when he is crucified on the cross. Uh, but because of this week being uh, Palm Sunday, and then we're heading into what's known as Holy Week. All week is Holy Week because Friday is what's known as Good Friday, where Jesus dies for uh, our sins, and then Sunday is Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So because of that, we're going to be out of the book of Romans for a little bit just to make sure we are addressing these, uh, th these topics. Uh, let me just quickly say a quick word before we jump in. You, if you're still flipping, Luke 22 is where we are. Uh, let me say a quick word about Good Friday. I know Gabe mentioned it, but Good Friday, we are going to be in this room at 7 o'clock, and I, I'm hoping that everybody would be here um, Last year, we had just a crazy overflow. So if you guys can get here early, I'm hoping you can get here at like 6.30, try to get a seat so that you, uh, you, you can uh, enjoy. We will have poetry. We're going to have good Jesus-loving music. Uh, I'm going to preach just a little bit. Uh, we're going to have some reenactments and some, some, uh, so, some great stuff on video for you guys to check out. So please be here. Invite somebody with you. Invite somebody, you know, that one neighbor that you know that doesn't know Jesus, that you've been dying to engage and invite to the church. Invite them that, uh, that day. I think that would be a good day. All right, let's get into the word. Luke 22, if you're there, if you can say amen. amen. All right, verse 7. Then the day of unleavened bread came. When the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John, note those two, saying, go make preparations for us to eat the Passover. 
Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered into the city, a man carrying a jar, uh, a jug of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the owner of the house. The teacher ask you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Look at verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it amongst yourself. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Last verse, verse 20. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. I simply want to preach this afternoon from the topic entitled Dining with Jesus. Dining with Jesus. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, I simply want to briefly pray the prayer that Samuel prayed, Prophet Samuel, 1 Samuel 3.10. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. Dining with Jesus. Earlier this week, I was watching TV, watching a show with my younger son, Jeremy, and uh, while we were watching this show, uh, a trailer, a movie trailer came on. It was a Marvel movie that's coming out at the end of this month, and uh, he loves Marvel movies, and so, you know, Marvel just does a good job with their attractions and showing you, really sucking you in, and so by the end of the trailer, two-minute trailer, my son looks at me and says, we have to see that movie on opening day. And then he looks at his mother and he says, grab the phone and, and buy the tickets now because it's going to, you know, it's going to sell out and we need a seat. And it, it had me thinking, I wonder how many of us, or not just us, but how many people in the world look at those type of movie trailers, specifically Marvel, and are drawn in and run to buy a ticket, within, which then led me on a trail of trying to find out, I wonder how much Marvel makes off of these movies. As you can imagine, they make a ton of money. In fact, I did the research for you. Not all of the movies, but here are a few. In 2013, Iron Man came out grossing over $1.2 billion internationally. Two point, uh, in 2015, Avengers Age of Ultron came out $1.4 billion. Y'all hear me? Not million. Billion dollars. 2018 was a great year for them. Black Panther came out. Over $1.4 billion Wakanda forever. Y'all know, know that day everybody went out and put on their garb and went to the movies. Y'all don't ever put on no African attire, but that was the day we all were unified. You found your roots back then. 2018 was a good movie, a good year because Avengers Infinity War came out the same year, grossing $2 billion. Now, that's a lot of money, and that's only four movies. Since, two, to, since two, uh, 2007, they've made 19 Marvel movies, and all of them made millions and millions, and some of them made billions of dollars. And for decades, going all the way back to comic books, we have always been infatuated with this idea of a hero rescuing and saving the day. 
We, we, we've always, we always have longed for the damsel in distress to be rescued by the knight in shining armor. And here's what I found out that I think the Lord has wired in all of us, and whether you believed in Jesus or not, he's wired in all of us the need to be rescued. He's wired in all of creation. In fact, if I could put a little Bible here, Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says it this way. For all creation eagerly waits the day that God will reveal who his children really are. All of us in this room have this deep longing to be rescued. Well, that's good we do because today we have a story before us where Jesus is eating a meal with his boys. And this is not just Jesus eating with the boys, but Jesus is eating to explain how he will rescue sinful man and sinful woman from our sin. Now, if you walk away and you only hear that this is a story about food, you've missed the passage. If you walked away and only hear that Jesus is just having a good meal, I have failed you as a preacher. But this goes deeper than just food. This stretches into the gospel. Jesus is basically laying out for them and demonstrating that for them in a very tangible way the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it behooves us to dine with Jesus today. Here's four points I have for you. It's not going to be long. I think we can put them up on the screen. If you're taking note, here's a good time to do it. Four points that I'm going to pull out of this passage. Number one, Jesus shows us the importance of the Passover. Number two, Jesus shows us the importance of serving him. Number three, Jesus shows us the importance of spending time with him. And then finally, number four, Jesus shows us how he is the goal of the meal. Let's dig in and dine with Jesus. Number one, Jesus shows us how he, the, the importance of the Passover. Look at verse number seven, one verse. Then the day of unleavened bread came when Jesus had, uh, when, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. It's been my experience that most of us don't understand what the Passover is all about. The, the Passover really is an ancient Jewish festival. It is a time where they got to look back at the work that Jesus, that, that God did in bringing them out of Israel. In fact, Exodus chapter 12 will tell us that God commanded them to do this festival to remember who he was. Now, I don't know if you've done your devotional through the book of Exodus or maybe you watch Prince of Egypt. Either way, the story is the same. Israel was in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. In fact, it was over 400 years, closer to 430 years. They were in bondage in Egypt. And God raises up a leader by the name of Moses. And he speaks to him from a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And when he speaks to him, he says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And he begins to tell him that he needs to lead God's people out of bondage. And he says, go to the most powerful man. Go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt. And don't go with a bunch of words. Go with four words. Let my people go. After some back and forth, and Moses didn't think that he was that dude. He thinks that he stutters, so he didn't think he was the right person. But God always uses the most underqualified person to get the job done. And so he uses Moses. He sends him in to Egypt. And when he sends him into Egypt, he goes to Pharaoh and does exactly what God says. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Are y'all staying with me? While Pharaoh's heart is hardened, the Bible says that over and over again, Moses went to him and said, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh says no. And so God turns the water into blood. 
He says no, and God then sends a bug infestation and a frog infestation and even attack their bodies to where the Egyptians had boils and sores on their body. And then finally, finally, God is like, all right, I'm going to just send the tenth and final plague, and this one will get him. And when he sends the tenth and final plague, the plague is that God is going to kill every firstborn in Egypt. Please don't miss this. It is not just the Egyptians that are under this plague, but even disobedient Hebrews are under this plague. And so what he does is he says, Moses, this is what I need you to do. Here's what the Passover is. I need you to tell every household to go and find a lamb. And when you find the lamb, take that lamb and sacrifice it. And after you sacrifice it, take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. Don't miss the gospel here. Don't miss your shouting moment either. He says, take the blood and put it on the doorpost. And therefore, when the death angel comes at night, he'll go through the streets of Egypt. And every place he sees the blood, he will pass over that house. Now, I know you think that's just a cute story in the Old Testament, but the same is true for us today. The same way every Egyptian could put the blood of Jesus, of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, every believer that has the blood of Jesus on the doorpost of your heart, the death angel passes over. And that is what this meal represents. This is more than just food. It's more than just bread. It's more than just wine, but this points us to what Jesus will do on Friday when he dies on our behalf. So Jesus here is explaining this Passover. And here's what's interesting is every firstborn son in Israel, in Egypt at this time, would have been able to look at the kitchen table and been able to say, I'm not dead because that is. In other words, the, the lamb got what the firstborn deserved. And just like every firstborn son can look at the table and say, I'm not dead because that is. So the believer can look at the cross and say, I'm not dead because Jesus died. And every believer can look at the cross and say, I'm not punished because Jesus was. And every believer can look at the cross and say, I don't have to bear the weight of my sin because Jesus did. Is anybody excited about the gospel? And here's what I know about this passage, that that is what Jesus is explaining. It's deeper than just food. He's like, listen, this meal represents what I'm going to do. And, you you know, only the blood saved them in Exodus and only the blood will save you in the future. And it doesn't matter what, what your zip code is, doesn't matter what degree you have on the wall. Your degree won't save you. The fact that you come to church doesn't save you because I want to help us today because what we do is we come to church and we be like, I'm good because of church attendance. Church attendance don't save you. The fact that you showed up this morning didn't save you, but it is the blood of Jesus that is applied to your life that saves us and that and that alone. And so Jesus here is sitting down with his disciples and he's like, listen, go prepare the Passover. It's so much deeper than just food. It runs all the way back to what I'm going to accomplish on the cross, the blood that I will share. And I've been gone for two weeks, and I feel like preaching the blood today. I, 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 I love this. this, there's, a, there's, this there's this analogy that, um, that, that is in this book called Written in Blood. It's by a guy named Robert Coleman. You should check out the book. And in the book, he talks about how there's a, a young boy and a young girl, the, their brother and sister, and the, it's a younger sister, and she has a rare blood disease. And 
in order for her to be saved, she's weak and she's sick. And in order for her to be revived and healed, she needs a blood transfusion. But the blood transfusion cannot be blood from just anybody. It has to be the same type. But not only that, it has to be a person that overcame the same thing she has. And so fortunate for her, her brother a few years ago overcame the same blood disease that she had. And so the doctor thought it was a good idea that he goes to the parents and say, this is what we need to do. If the older brother can give his sister a blood transfusion, then she will be okay. And so the doctor and the parents go to the young boy and they say, can you give your sister a blood transfusion to which his lips started quivering, to which he got nervous and he got fearful But he looked at his sister and said, yes, I will give my blood for my sister. And then they wheel the two kids into the room. And when they wheel them into the room, they hook them up with the tubes and the IV. And the young boy sees the blood coming out of his arm. And he looks at the doctor and he says, when am I going to die? And it was in that moment the doctor realized that he thought that giving a transfusion meant he had to die. But fortunately, he didn't have to die. But all of us in this room have a rare blood disease called sin. And Jesus goes to the cross and hooks up a tube in his arm and gives out his blood to apply to your life. And you're sitting there cute like he's supposed to do that. But that should stir something up in your spirit. So Jesus Christ gives his blood and he sacrifices his life for us. So number one, point number one, Jesus believed in the Passover, but don't think it's just about a meal. It's about the cross on Friday. Number two, Jesus shows us the importance of serving. Don't miss verse number uh, number eight. It says Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go make preparations. Please note that word. I'm going to show you how many times this shows up. Go make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered into the city, a man carrying a jug of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. Tell the owner of the house that the teacher asks you, where is the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Here it is again. Make preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. You have to understand, preparing the Passover during Passover week is extremely difficult. It's a lot of work. I know we read it like, oh, they're just going to go set up a room. First of all, do you know the crowds that were in Jerusalem during Passover? Do you know the lines they had to stand in? Do you know the money they had? The prices would have been raised up for sacrifices. The pita bread would have been expensive. Can you imagine? There would have been no rooms for them. But Jesus tells these two, don't miss this, leaders to go and to serve the body. Two leaders like Peter and John, pillars of the church, apostles, some of the main teachers. See, if I'm Peter, this is why I can't be written into scripture. If I was Peter, I'd have been like, like, send Thaddeus. He ain't that dude. Like, like seriously, send Bartholomew. Send, send Thomas. You know he's going to doubt you later. He needs some work. So send one of them. But Peter and John are sent. And what I love about that is it didn't matter that they were apostles. Didn't matter that they were great leaders. Their greatest title was servant. Many of us miss that in our walk with the Lord. We are we are running to see how we can be served. But I love Peter and John because even though they were apostles and pillars in the early church, they realized their leadership was only as good as their servanthood. When is the last time you served? What does serving look like for you? We are so consumeristic when it comes to church. 
But, but serving the body really is a valid expression of your love for Jesus. Not just your love for his body, but your love for Jesus. And so what does serving look like for you? I'm less impressed if you come in here and can quote scripture. I'm more impressed when I see you making coffee and you setting up chairs and you helping somebody else to get in position to hear the gospel. I'm more impressed with a servant than I am the person that's saying, well, look at me. Look at what I can do. And so Jesus here shows us that Passover really pushes us to serving. What does that look like for you? Some of us need to serve by giving of our time. Some of us need to serve by helping those who are less fortunate. Some of us need to serve by, by you know, the last thing that was, that was converted in me was my wallet. I looked at Jesus, I said, you can take all of this, but I'm not giving. You know, generosity is a way to serve Jesus Christ. Even as we're talking about Palm Sunday, you don't have Palm Sunday unless the donkey owner gives. And so when I when I think about when I think about being sacrificial and serving, I'm not just thinking my time. I'm thinking my money. Now, I know you, you may not be there yet, but you need to get there because at the end of the day, Jesus wants every aspect of who you are, including your pocketbook, including your wallet. And so. Jesus shows us here that it's important that you serve. Maybe you need to serve your neighbors. Do your neighbors even know you're a Christian? Do the people that live next to you know that you are faithful to Jesus? The, the guy that lives upstairs and the, the lady that lives, the old lady that lives to the right of me, they know when a snowstorm hits, they ain't got a shovel. They got to provide salt because I'm just not doing that much salt. But they know they ain't got a shovel. When I go out to shovel, I shovel my front. I shovel the steps upstairs, which I don't even take. I shovel the lady's front. I shovel her stairs because she's elderly. My boys know when they go outside with the shovels, if I'm not home, make sure you hit our front, the, the lady's front. Why? Because as a believer, I'm called to serve. And this is really being like Jesus. Remember what Jesus says? He says, the son of man didn't come to, to be served, but I came to serve. And then he goes so far as to say, and give my life as a ransom. So Jesus Christ shows us and models for us what this idea of serving looks like. And so point number one, Jesus shows us the importance of the Passover. Point number two, he shows you the importance of serving him. But if you're just serving just to serve, you'll be depleted. Serving, the end game of serving is to spend time with him. Because at the end of the day, they're not just serving. Look at what happens in verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table. With the apostles, I literally underlined this phrase that he reclined at the table with the apostles, drew a line out to the margin and wrote, they chilling because that's exactly what they are doing. They are spending quality time with Jesus. And when's the last time you spent time with Jesus? I was talking to the staff uh, earlier this week and we were talking about this idea of of serving, but also spending time. And I know for me, sometimes I get those two mixed up. Sometimes I think my service is spending time with him. Just because you came to church this morning doesn't mean you're spending time with him. What does Monday through Saturday look like? When's the last time you shut off your social media to spend time with the Lord? And I'm not, you know, some of the ways that we can serve Jesus, number one is by prayer. We are the most prayerless people. We go through life and we don't pray. And, you, you know, some of us only pray on our commute. Y'all know we do it. I, can you imagine if my wife and I only talked on my commute? Like, you know how dysfunctional that relationship is? Some of us have dysfunctional relationships with the Lord, and it's not dysfunctional on his end. It's dysfunctional because we go through life prayerless. 
So one of the ways you can spend quality time with him is by praying. I know this is not deep enough for y'all, but this is what we need. We need quality time. You need to pray. Reading your Bible is a way that we spend time with the Lord. When's the last time you just opened up your word? I'm not saying that you preached it, that you told somebody else. When's the last time you just loved the word so much that you opened it up and just read it? Like, how do we go through our life without the sword? How do you go to battle without the sword? And so what we do is we wake up and we check our IG, check your social media feed. But what does it look like to wake up, open up the word of God and let Jesus speak to you? Even if you don't understand it, just read the word. And so there's a few ways, prayer, Bible reading, or, or maybe a, there, one of the most spiritually disciplined ways is fasting. Some of us need to turn our plates down. Some of us need to shut the social media account off. Tuesday, no, no lie, Tuesday, I was, I don't know how your day goes, but in the mornings after I wake up, I shower and brush my teeth. And uh, before I head out to the house, I check my calendar because I want to see everything that's going on in the day. And when I see everything that's going on in the day, I don't know about you, I'm a little fat on the inside. And so I'm always thinking, what am I going to eat today? I, I don't, I saw, I'm thinking, what's breakfast? What's lunch? And so this day on Tuesday, I went downstairs and I said, you know, I'll make some avocado toast. I don't know what it is. When I hit 38, I started to like avocados. I hated avocados all my life. And so I was thinking about, you know, what I'm going to eat. And so I went downstairs and cut my avocado up and chopped up the onions and chopped up the, the garlic and seasoned it up and got it all ready. And as I was about to leave out the door, I'm not a deep person, but I promise you, I heard the Lord say, don't eat a thing until you come back in this house. And I'm like, Lord, I just made this avocado. <laughs> And I looked at my calendar. I got a long day today. So the Lord says, don't eat. He bullied me into a fast. And whatever it takes, I want to spend time with him. So therefore, I shut it down. You know, avocados turn brown after five minutes. It was all messed up. My day was all messed up, but I got to spend time with the Lord. And when's the last time you were so sensitive and in tune with the spirit that you obeyed him when he said, spend time with me? We don't spend time with the Lord through prayer and through Bible reading and maybe you're a little bit more spiritually mature and you can you can fast. And the reason we don't spend time is because we're too busy and the busyness we have is not necessarily people. It's stuff. It's good stuff. I got to work today. I I, got to you know, I got to go to school and I'm not saying don't go to work. I'm not saying don't go to school. That's foolish. But what I am saying is. I can't operate in life if I'm so busy that I put Jesus as the lowest priority. I got to spend time with him. So I want to challenge you today to do exactly what Jesus is showing us here. Yes, serve him. Set up the table. Set up the place to prepare for the meal, but also dine with him. The Bible says that they're reclining at the table, meaning they're chilling with him. And while they're chilling with them, Jesus begins to further explain the meal that they're about to partake. Look at verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, circle that broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus shows us here how he completes the meal. Now, now, this is interesting because when Jesus starts to talk, he assumes the role of a father in a Hebrew household. In other words, every time a Passover meal uh, would take place, if the father of the house, his job was to stand up and explain the meal. 
And so he would explain what the bread was. He would explain. In fact, when he grabbed the bread, there's two shocking moments that happened at this dinner table. The first thing the father is supposed to say is he's supposed to take the bread and say, this is the bread of afflictions that our fathers ate in Egypt. That's what the Hebrew house was supposed to say. Note in verse 19, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus grabs the bread and says, this is my body. In other words, showing us that the bread that's on the table points to his body being torn to shreds on Friday. In other words, I told you to underline this idea that he broke it because Jesus on the cross was broken for you. See, we, we, see, we romanticize the cross too much. You, you do understand passion of the Christ doesn't even do the cross justice. Like Jesus was brutally beaten for your sin. The Bible says that they pulled the very beard out of his face. The Bible says that they took a blindfold and wrapped it around his eyes, struck him in the face and said, prophesy to us which one of us struck you. The Bible says that they beat him with a cattle nine tails, 40 lashes, mining one, 39 lashes. And a cattle nine tails would have literally ripped his flesh into shreds. His organs would have been exposed. He would have suffocated in his blood. But here's what I love about Jesus. He says, with the joy set before him, he endured the grave. He did it with joy. He was excited about it because he knew that it was the only way that you could be in relationship with a holy God. So the Bible says that he took the bread and he broke it. And he doesn't say, this is the bread of afflictions. He says, no, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. Second shocking moment. Please write this one down. Second shocking moment that happens is there's three things that's supposed to be at every Passover meal. Three. The first one is that there's supposed to be bread. Okay, verse 19 shows us that there's bread, unleavened bread. Secondly, there's supposed to be cups of wine. Verse 20 says that he took the cup and said, this is my blood. So we know that there's cups of wine. Please don't miss this one. The third thing that's supposed to be there is a lamb. Now, now notice something here. I see the bread. I see the cups. Where's the lamb? Here's what I love. The lamb, Carlos, wasn't on the table. The lamb was sitting at the table. I love the way John would say it when he sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I love the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, has been sacrificed. Jesus took the place of the lamb. And here's what I love about Jesus taking the blood. I don't know why you're not more excited. Here's what I love about Jesus taking the place of the lamb is when he takes the place of the lamb, that means he takes your place. You should be on the cross. You should be paying for your sins. But Jesus Christ willingly goes, not begrudgingly, but willingly goes to a cross to die for your sins. And this is the Christ that we get to worship. As we head into Holy, Holy Week and, and Good Friday, you know, I, I go in confident. I go in confident because I realize, you know, you, you think about a good. Why is it? Why is it called Good Friday when he died? It's good because it was what accomplished the ability for you to be in relationship with the Lord. Despite a bad Monday, we got a good Friday coming. Despite a bad Tuesday, we got a good Friday coming. Despite a bad Wednesday, good Friday is coming. And some of you are living in between of the bad Monday and a good Friday. God will show us how he's able to restore sinful man. And he does it via the cross. And I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know if you trusted in the Lord. I, I have no clue. Here's what I know. If you don't trust in the blood that was shed on the cross, then we still have to pay for our sins. 
One of the most fearful things I have as a pastor in my heart is that you would come here, hear the gospel, walk away and say, I'm not accepting that. But I want us to accept Jesus because you can't find anybody else that will do what Jesus did for you. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus, every head bow, every eye closed. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, here's your moment. Here's your moment. You know, Jesus says in Revelation 3, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not busting down the door. He's giving you an opportunity today. He's knocking at your heart. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, hear me and hear me well. He's inviting you to the dining table. And before we move to the dining table, I, I want to offer somebody that chance. We don't do this every week, but I want to offer you a chance to openly profess faith in Jesus Christ. Hear me. It's not the altar that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. But I love Jesus because he says, if you would openly acknowledge me before men, I'll openly acknowledge you before my father. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you know that on this Palm Sunday, you haven't trusted in Jesus. If you haven't moved to the place to saying, Hosanna in the highest, praise Lord Yeshua. If you haven't moved to that place of praising Jesus, I want you to simply slip your hand in the air because we want to pray with you today. If you know that if you die today, that you would not be with Jesus, raise your hand. Nothing to be ashamed about. Everybody that has trusted in Jesus had to get to this moment. That's you. Would you raise your hand? Would you accept Jesus today? You've tried it by yourself. It doesn't work. Would you accept him? I also want to pray for the person that you have trusted in Jesus, but you've wandered off. This message of the gospel, this message that Jesus shows us through the Passover meal, you've drifted from it. So the gospel hasn't become your everything. It's just been the thing that you hear about on Sunday. If that's you, would you simply raise your hand? If you know you've wandered from the Lord and you want to get back right with him, I see those hands. Would you, would you raise your hand? There's more of you in here. And you're letting an embarrassment right now stop you, but Jesus stood on the cross fully exposed. Fully exposed. Would you raise your hand if that's you? I see those hands. I see those hands. It doesn't matter if you're volunteering or leading. I see those hands. By another step of faith, just come down to the altar because I want to pray with you. Nothing deep. I just want to pray with you. If you just, if your hand is raised and you're saying I've wandered and I need to get back, would you come to this altar? I see you coming. Thank you for coming. You guys spread on out. Can we thank God for those that are coming down to the altar? Come on. There's more of you sitting in your seat. There's more of you in here. Move on down for me. There's more of you that have wandered off. Revelation says you've abandoned your first works. Thank you for coming. There's, there's one or two more, though. And I'm willing to wait. We got time. There it is. There's one or two more that need to come. To the, you know I'm, you're going to hear me in your sleep tonight. You know you need to come to this altar. to Say, I need to get it back together with the Lord. I veered off. I've moved into a place of addiction. I've moved into a place of sin. Or I've moved into sin because I just forgot you.
If that's you, would you come down to the altar? Father, I pray for every single person on this altar. Every person on this altar represents someone, someone's relationship with you. Point your hands this way, guys. And I pray, oh God, for restoration. Pray for peace. I pray for healing. Help them to realize that they are not what they did. I don't even care what it was. They're not what they are not held bondage to the decisions they've made. But here's what I love, God, that you're not you're not angry with them. You are happy that they are getting their life back with you. You're not angry. You're not. You're not, it's like the lost sheep. You're not looking to beat them up, but you want to rejoice. You're throwing a party because they're coming back to you. And I pray, oh God, that they would be strengthened in their walk with you. That people around them would encourage them to look more like Jesus. So would you put the right accountability in their life? Every young lady that's on the altar, help her to realize she's loved by you. This young man that's on, on the altar, help him to realize that he is loved by you. And nobody will ever be able to love them like you do. Put them on fire. I pray that thousands of souls would be saved because of the people on this altar. Every person on this altar would be a testimony of the work that you've done on the cross. So, Father, as they head back to their seat, I pray that they will go back with the newness of life. That they realize that because you've loved them, that because you've died for them, that they're willing to live their lives openly for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for those that are on the altar? You guys can be seated. If they're sitting next to you, won't you give them a hug before they sit back down?